Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we aim to inspire you, to connect you with like-minded colleagues, to innovate and push you out of your comfort zone, to create robust debate, to encourage lifelong learning, and to empower you to create more impact as a dietitian. Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast. My name is Marie Ferguson and I'm the founder of Dietitian Connection. Before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where you are listening today and pay respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are here with us today. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Wesley McWhorter. Um, I've known Wesley for a little bit now and just think he's had a, a very interesting career journey, which we'll get into today. Um, so welcome, Wesley. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Uh, Dr. Wesley McWhorter is a Director of Lifestyle Medicine for Savita Healthcare and is an Advisory Council member for the Teaching Kitchen Collaborative, a nonprofit global network. In addition, Wesley serves as a National Spokesperson for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And originating as a professional chef, Wesley is also a certified strength and conditioning specialist, cookbook author, behavioral scientist, and food as medicine expert. Wesley graduated from the Florida Culinary Institute and earned a bachelor's degree from Kansas State University, a master's degree from the University of Texas Medical Branch, and a doctorate from the University of Texas Health Science Center, the School of Public Health. So you've you've had a very interesting journey there, Wesley. Um, yeah, so- it, it does. It, you know, consolidated into that that few paragraphs, it feels you know it feels uh, interesting, and also like, how did that all happen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, tell us a little bit about uh, firstly why you chose to become a dietitian. Yeah, I mean, I think you know maybe I, I definitely not your traditional uh, dietitian, and nothing wrong with that. But uh, I, I would say I backed into it. Um, I knew nutrition was something I wanted to do, um, but I didn't know what a dietitian was. Um, really the, the inspiration for me, which I think is similar to probably a lot of people listening here and, and a lot of, of RDs in general is, you know, there was a, a family member that was struggling and, and for me, it was my grandfather. Um, he had a heart attack and, you know, as is typical, he went to the, the, the medical doctor and, and, and in that healthcare, he was given, you know, Hey, you had a heart attack and here's this handout, go eat a heart healthy diet. And I mean, we know, and that it's not the, it's not the, uh, you know, the, the physicians followed or anything along that line, not, not pointing the finger there, but that didn't work. We know that's not going to work. And, you know, um, he had a second, second heart attack. And after that event, I remember being at my, my grandparents' house and my grandmother, you know, was, was trying to get him to eat that heart healthy diet. Like, you know, you gotta eat this. And I remember him pushing the plate away and being like, this is disgusting. I'm not eating it. Like I'm not, no way. And, and my grandfather was a nice man. So at least I knew him to be a very kind, gentle soul and seeing him, you know, upset at, you know, the fact that he has to eat miserable food really inspired me to say, you know, I need to learn how to make healthy food taste good. So I went to culinary school and majored in nutrition. And that's, that's the path that led me down to become a dietitian. You know, I would say before I, before I did that though, my, my grandfather did pass away. He had a, a you know, a third event and that, that ultimately uh, took his life. And, you know, that's sad to me that, you know, a lot of our, our, you know, family members and, and, and patients in general, if you're a practicing provider, they, they struggle. They don't want to be sick, but that's naturally where we're, we're pushing people into and we aren't giving, you know, quality advice and quality tools to overcome these, these hard barriers. So 
for me, again, I, I went to culinary school, majored in nutrition, and that's where I learned about a dietitian. I had a dietitian that was in, in that was a instructor in our culinary school, and I was like, "Hey, I, sh- I should do that. that. That should be the next step for me." Um, I, I don't come from a lot of money, so I had to work through it. So I, you know, I, I worked as a chef um, in several different places, you know, uh, restaurants and country clubs, and. Um, at the same time, I became a personal trainer and was doing that in the mornings before working, um, again, trying to better myself and, you know, save up some money. And then I got a, uh, I got a job as a private chef. Um, and, uh, I don't know if to, to explain this for, for anybody that, you know, maybe doesn't know what that is. I was someone's chef. I cooked for them exclusively. I lived in their home, uh, prepared all of their meals. And I also was their personal trainer. So I did that for several years. And that allowed me to save up money and uh, and do do my undergrad. So, um, luckily, back then Kansas State had a uh, distance program, and I was able to do the vast majority of my programming. You know, in my classes distance. I took a few classes here and there. You know, at, at community college, but you know, really, um, really went down that path of you know, able to to do the the the, the undergrad degree, and then. Uh, I, I don't know if other people feel this way, but I honestly did not know we had to do um, an internship. So I was a little surprised come senior year. Where I was like, oh man, I got I to gotta do more. So um, I, I wasn't planning on doing the master's degree, if I'm honest, but um, I was living in Houston at the time um, and uh, University of Texas Medical Branch, they had a combined MSDI program. And I would like to say I went there because, you know, I'm the best student ever, but to be frank, they were the only program that accepted me. They were the only one, you know, I applied to several, I didn't even get interviews at places. So, um, I'm very thankful to, uh, UTMB and, you know, honestly, that really changed the scope of, you know, belief in myself and like, you know, uh, what I could do and, you know, my career journey too. I had some really great professors there that, you know, poured into me, gave me a lot of time and effort, you know, to really kind of, um, explain things and say, you know, you, you don't have, you know, you can do this. You can definitely do it. You can go for your doctorate. You absolutely should do it. So I'm very, very thankful for my experience during that time. But, um, and I apologize for this long winded story here, but, um, wrapping, wrapping up that, that degree, you know, I, I was, I was doing a lot of different work, but still, you know, I'm a chef, I'm a dietitian. I have, you know, uh, my family owned a, a, a landscaping company growing up. So a lot of, you know, uh, uh, work and in, in food and agriculture, you know, planting plants and doing, you know, all of those things at my private chef job. I had, you know, a garden, I had fruit trees, had all these tools, but still, you know, what I'm seeing is that it doesn't like, still doesn't make the change of behavior. Like I can cook for someone, I can do everything for them, but when I'm not there, that doesn't necessarily mean they're changing their behavior. So I was really inspired to you know, continue my education and say, I want to learn more about the behavior side. And that's why I chose to focus on behavioral science. So I could say, okay, we know the nutrition, we know these, these skills, but how do we actually motivate or how do we actually get someone to, you know, where we want them to be, where they need to be. And, and, you know, um, when I was applying to programs there, uh, the local school there, UT health, they had a garden and a kitchen and it was a perfect fit for me where I was able to really you know, pull together all of these degrees, um, and all this training that seemingly like, you know, in, in 2023 go well together, but, you know, earlier on they, they didn't really make much sense. Um, so, you know, that, that was a, a great space to, to join in. And, and during that time we started teaching medical students, um, culinary medicine. And that was where I was able to really, you know, spread my wings and really, you know, like say, okay, I have all these, these skills and these, you know, this training to really lead and, 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 and take that on. So, um, 
I, I did my education there. When I graduated, I was brought on as assistant professor, um, you know, in, uh, at McGovern Medical and then also at the School of Public Health. So mm-hmm. that that's that's how I became a dietitian. I kind of backed into it. But uh, yeah, um, mm. a, a fun, fun, long journey, I will say. There's so much to unpack there. First of all, I'd love to have a personal chef. I'd love to have you come cook for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, um, always there too. Any meal you want. That was that was. You know, I I, I joke. Uh, she she's a, a wonderful human being, but she had she had two rules for me. She said she never wanted to have um, uh, the same thing twice. You know, never. I don't ever want to eat oh, the same ever. thing again. So always give me something oh different. Gosh. And you know, oh, wow. the next the next thing was you don't have a budget. So <laughs> those are two really oh, you know wonderful oh, wow. wonderful things to my ears. I will I will say that. <laughs> um. Secondly, what a wonderful legacy that you've left your grandfather. That brings tears to my eyes. Um, and then I think the value of people to help you along the way. So can, yep. can you talk, talk a little bit about that maybe? Yeah. Uh, you know, in touching on my grandfather, I think it, <clears throat> my, my career has really come full circle, you know, where I'm like, and I, I shared that with the med students of like, you know, I started this journey because I was frustrated with how healthcare was being operated. Like I saw the gap, I saw the, 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 the frustration here and it really was a, and still is a beautiful thing to be a part of changing that, you know, that education piece. And I, I can't express enough, like the power of someone believing in you, um, the power of someone taking the time. So I know for me as a, you know, now in the the mentor relationship where I'm mentoring students and, and younger colleagues is just being there for support. Um, you know, I, I was pretty good at school. I was not, you know, I was, you know, and did make good grades and everything else, but, you know, being from you know, in the U.S. from Southern Alabama, people don't really take you very seriously in academia. Uh, they make fun of you a lot, make fun of your accent. And uh, I would say that was definitely uh, many things I've heard, a, a lot of negative things. When you go to a, a uh, more of a tech-oriented school, like a culinary school, people also make fun of that. And they say, well, you don't know what you're talking about, you know. So I've I've definitely had many people mock and make fun. And um, I will say the, the the folks that, you know, believed in me and, and said kind words that meant a lot. And, uh, you know, I can, I don't want to name all their names, but it, it does bring tears to my eyes. I know y'all can't see my eyes right now, but um, yeah, that it, there's power in just believing that someone can do it. And if, if you're out there and you're thinking, well, maybe I should do a doctorate. I mean, you, I would say one of the things one of my professors told me is that you don't have to be the smartest person in the world. You just got to be super stubborn. You know, you got to be one of those people that just, you know, they really, there's a problem out there that you really want to solve. There's a problem out there that really bothers you that you're just willing enough to to take the four or five years to, to seek out that question. And I found that to be true um, is that it's really a piece for um, a place for, you know, um, really questioning why things exist the way they are. And that that's my personality. Like I really, I don't accept things for the way they are if they, they suck. <laughs> to be frank, you know, we need to improve nutrition education and there's a lot of things that we need to get better at. Um, the, the other piece that I wanted to mention too, is there was this one book that I read early on that I, you know, I always recommend to people. Um, it was by Carol Dweck and it's called growth mindset. And it's the, it's the, the difference between fixed and growth. And what that really taught me was, you know, failure is just, it's just a learning opportunity. That's all it is. It's not something to get stuck on, um, that, you know, every time you're doing something, if you don't put yourself out there that, you know, obviously you'll fail if you never try and, you know, failing again is just an opportunity. So learning that and really putting that to form, I think was a really beautiful thing for me to, to, to learn and to, to move into. I think they, another saying is fail forward. So you can only go yeah. forward from, from those. Yeah. Those I mean, 
it, it, it's so true. Like I, I think, you know, RDs, especially we really get in this space where we're terrified of like, Oh my, I can never say something. It's like, what are you so scared of? <laughs> like, you know, someone's going to call you stupid or oh, you asked a dumb question. It's like, no, there's literally never dumb questions. Like I'm, I'm always asking questions like, why does this, why does that, you know, it's definitely something that I, I, I would advise any student out there, like, yes, ask the question, like ask more, be inquisitive. And that's what we want our kids to do. But for some reason, when we become professionals, we're then terrified to be like, oh no, I'm supposed to know everything. And it's like, no, you, there's no way you can, you know, there's no way you can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which brings me back to, um, you know, the connection between being a chef and the, the your doctorate in behavioral sciences. So how yeah. do you see, and you touched on that, a minute ago, but how do you see that connection between culinary and, and human behavior and how that impacts our field of dietetics? Yeah. I mean, the, for me, it's been so intertwined since early childhood. It's something like I I've identified like food is you know who we are. And I, I mean, sometimes I say that and people are like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, it's food, but like when you talk to, you know, non, you know, lay folks, you talk to people that like eat, you know, like generally normal people, like people really care about what they eat. They really like food, you know, and like um, a perfect example of that. And I'll, I'll try to explain this a little bit is if I go to a patient room and I'm like, Hey, I'm the dietitian. There's pretty negative stereotype there. Like I'm going to judge them. I'm going to shame them. And I'm not saying that's what dietitians do, but that's the stereotype. So usually people clam up and you can see their face. You can see the reaction. You know, I, don't, uh, I eat chicken and brown rice and broccoli. You know, if I walk into that same room and I said, Hey, I'm a chef completely different mentality, completely different facial expression. And I see joy and I see like, oh, this person wants to tell me, they ask, oh, tell me what you like to cook. What do you like to eat? You know, my grandmother makes this thing. Is that something you've, you've, you've done or do you enjoy? And when you think of it from like the behavior side, we should be communicating with people about what they love because at the, at the most minimal level, as humans, that's what we end up doing. And, you know, at the end of the day, so if we're trying to change diets, we're trying to improve people's eating behaviors, let's start with pleasure. Let's start with enjoyment, not say you can never have pleasure again. You can never enjoy your food. You have to be restrictive and go on this diet. And that's, that's where like, I've really, I don't know if I see it different than people. I don't want to say that, but it's just as a chef, I really do lean on that flavor profile of like, what do you love? Let's, let's go there. And then let's, let's, let's make that as our guiding point. And I, you know, I know a lot of dietitians in our practice is moving that direction too. So a lot of people are really saying that and, and more than just our practice, you know, there's a space to do it now. You know, we have teaching kitchens, we have the ability to do short videos and education. We're not just stuck with that handout anymore. So it's very exciting to see the movement and the shift in our field where we're able to to do some of these things like that actually can work. Um, so that that's kind of one piece to it. And I, I, at risk of expanding this question a little longer, like the, the behavior side, I, I, I think there's another piece here where we often assume if you just tell somebody to do something, they're going to do it. Like, and I, I know, you know, a lot of RDs, we know this. I mean, you had any health education, you know this, but knowledge alone is not sufficient to change. You know, vast majority of people know vegetables are good for them. But in the US, you know, 90% of people aren't doing it. When you look at the statistic that way and you say, okay, if 90% of people are failing, 90% of people aren't following the advice, we can't simply say that 
it is their fault. But that's what we're doing. We're saying, oh, well, you know, you just didn't try hard enough. Let me label you as non-compliant, you know, in end of story. That just is, I mean, that's crazy. Where I'm from, we would say that's hogwash. Like that doesn't make any sense. You know, like uh, if as a professor, if I gave a, a quiz to my students, you know, and 90% of people failed that exam, you know, the dean's going to be like, hey, what, you know, what are you teaching? What's the deal here? You know, what's wrong? But we're fine with those statistics. And I'm not pointing the finger at, at dietitians only. I'm at our system. You know, like 90% of people shouldn't be failing what we should be doing. That is crazy. So take a step back and say, we know people don't want to be sick. What can we do? What are those barriers? You know, what are the structural determinants of health? How can we actually, you know, address some of these things that are outside of the patient's control? And then on that personal level, like, let's be real. Let's make healthy food taste good. You know, let's, let's get away from boiled Brussels sprouts. Let's, let's do roasted Brussels sprouts. Let's, let's add pleasure and joy and enjoyability to the plate. And that is really where we can see kind of some positive shifts to the dynamic of the dietitian. We're no longer the police coming in and pulling away. We're the person as we know, and that's how we feel we are. That's there to support and there to help and build up. So it's like in my, in my space, the culinary medicine space, the food is medicine space is like, we're really able to use this hook of enjoyability. And that, I think that, you know, I know this is a very long winded answer to your, where do you see that chef and behavior piece come in? But it's like, it's not that cooking changes everything. It's not that, you know, a teaching kitchen is like magical, but it's like, it's a space where we feel connected. It's where we can enjoy things and it opens a conversation and makes it so much more enjoyable to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Again, there's so much in that. I want to start with my, might be a bit yeah. controversial, but one of my yeah. missions has actually been to change the name of our profession from dietitians to something else. And um, we actually did a survey a couple of years ago. And I have to say that the majority of dietitians, I think it was mainly conducted in Australia. We're not on board with that. But I just think we're, as you said, we're yeah. on we're on the back foot the minute we step into the room. So I just wondered, yeah. do you have any thoughts on that? And might you join me in this mission um, if if yeah. you're in a similar? And I have to say, like my business is Dietitian Connection, so I would be changing the name. It's not an easy Change feat. Everything. Yeah, you know, what are your it, thoughts it, you on bring that? up you bring up such a wonderful point because, like, the, the thing is, is like, do people know what we do? And I, I think vast majority of the time, that's it, they don't, you know, like we, we used to ask our med students, like, what is a dietitian? And, you know, uh, you deliver food to the room. Uh, you know, you take food orders. Well, that's not actually what we do, or maybe that's one part of it, but people don't really know what we do. You take my food away. And we ask patients this too. And it, 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 it is difficult because I think for so long it was like, okay, put them on a diet, but we know diets don't work. So if we're st- still connected with that name, it is very difficult to be like, uh, how does this work? So in the U S you know, we have the registered dietitian nutritionist, which I think is a, it's like a medium ground of like, okay, we're, we're, we're connecting there. So I think that can be a space where, you know, you're kind of saying, okay, there's been some challenge with, with RDs and like with the, with the term dietitian in general. And then we have the folks that, you know, aren't necessarily registered that are calling themselves nutritionists. So, you know, using those together can allow us to have a little, you know, um, more authority in there and also not come in on that back foot. But the, the thing I think that's the biggest problem is how we are referred to. And when I say referred to, like when a provider refers a patient to us, and we've seen this in literature. If if the provider does it in a way where it's a positive thing, like, oh, I see that you're struggling here with, you know, 
uh, diabetes, controlling your A1C, I'm going to refer you to the, the dietitian. They're able to help you do A, B, C, D, E, whatever it is uh, to improve versus, hey, I see your, you know, your A1C is way out of whack. You're bad. You know, and I'm, I'm for those of you, you can't see the screen, but I'm wagging my finger. You know, you're wagging the finger and saying, you're bad, you're wrong. And it's a lot of shame inducing. What that sets us up as, is we're the disciplinarian. You know, we're being sent to go, you know, oh, you know, the, the doc sent us here and we're going to, we're going to get you in trouble now because you didn't follow the advice. So I think a lot of it is like, number one, us getting out of our silos and saying, let's work together. Let's be part of that interprofessional education so that, you know, nurses and dentists and uh, physicians and PAs and nurse practitioners and, you know, all healthcare staff know what we do. They know our expertise so that when referrals come to us, we actually are, it's done right. It's not done in that punishment mentality. So I would say a lot of the the weight lays on us to, to get out of those silos. And number two, step up and be leaders. You know, I think there needs to be more RD leaders in healthcare circles. It's really important that we, you know, illustrate, you know, our expertise, which I know you yourself have a tremendous amount of expertise. And we talked a lot about malnutrition and, you know, back and forth and you helping me with screening and all, all these different things, but there, there's a lot of expertise, but I still feel like a lot of times we tend to take the back seat out of fear, you know, going back to our first, you know, points of our conversation is that we, we let fear kind of uh, prevent our progression. So I would advise anybody listening to this, like never fall prey to that fear, you know, lean into it, you know, fall forward. Uh, usually sometimes failing can lead to really good things. I can definitely, you know, say I've failed many, many times. There's also <clears> feel <throat> the fear and do it anyway. That's another one of my favorite yeah. quotes. <laughs> Um, let, let me share this too. Cause I think this, I think this is relevant. I don't mean to take up too much time, but you know, I've shared this a few other times, but um, and I do a lot of public speaking, a lot of presentations and conferences and whatnot. I used to be dreadfully terrified of public speaking, like terribly terrified of it. And the, what led me to do it is I was asked to do a presentation. It was a fundraising event. And I spoke alongside a few docs that were you know, real well-known. And then there was me. And I failed miserably. It was terrible. I mean, I, I thinking about it still upsets me. Like I, I remember leaving that event and like just being so upset that I was like, this will never happen. Instead of just going into my shell, I, I signed up for any presentation I could do. I signed up for speaking classes and I was just like, I'm going to speak anywhere, everywhere to get better at this. And, you know, fast forward six years, I've done, I don't know, five, 600 presentations and not that I'm the best, but I feel very confident. I enjoy the speaking now and it's allowed me a lot more opportunity to do things that I do love to do. So that's a really good example of, you know, failing forward because it started out of a big time failure. And when I say failure, it, it was, it was rough. I never want to go back there. <laughs> I don't want to ever deal with that again. So, you know, if I can, um, you know, encourage any of y'all, if you feel like I'm not very good at that, well, just do it, you know, just do it. Um, yeah. So you've answered one of my other questions about your failures and how, <laughs> how do I become yeah. that? So that's great. Yeah. Um, but back to some of the things you were just talking about earlier around the behavior and culinary, and you talked about teaching kitchens. So you're also an advisory council member for the teaching kitchen collaborative. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, 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 an MD that I really, uh, had a lot of respect for, uh, in my education and, and like, you know, in the food is medicine space and, you know, cooking education, uh, David Eisenberg. Um, I reached out to him when I was still in my, my early, my, my doctoral degree, 
Um, actually my master's degree going into my doctoral degree and, uh, he has mentored me and kind of led me through a few different things like, Hey, you know, try this, try that. And we become, you know, colleagues, mentor, mentee. Um, he started the teaching kitchen collaborative with obviously a lot of other colleagues, uh, it came out of, you know, Harvard school of public health and the culinary Institute of America and now is its own 501 C3 it's, it's non own nonprofit. And it's essentially, you know, several organizations across the U.S., actually internationally now, um, that have a teaching kitchen. They're in higher education, business, you know, nonprofits, um, you know, K through 12 schools, you know, higher education, et cetera. Um, and it's it's a it's a collaborative group of people that are trying to push best best practices of teaching kitchens. You know, instead of just doing nutrition education in a classroom, let's take it to the kitchen. Let's do all of these things together. Let's make it enjoyable. Let's perfect the the recipes and the techniques we need to teach. Let's perfect the the mechanisms of how we can teach these things. So I've really uh, enjoyed being a part of this team, you know, and, uh, really, uh, a lot of my wonderful colleagues are, are, are members of the teaching kitchen collaborative, um, you know, from participating in different, you know, small groups to doing our conferences, doing research together. And now I, you know, I, I still get to support and work with them, you know, in an advisory uh, role where I'm helping and assisting. So really wonderful team. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to see, you know, uh, organizations like the Teaching Kitchen Collaborative come out and you know um, provide some some community to to some of us out on that periphery. You know, we're like, hey, you know, let's do. We we think we should be cooking and and talking about food. We should be talking about nutrition. And when you get some you know other crazy thinkers together, we really can create some fun stuff. So it's been a been a wonderful ride um, for the past several years. Mm-hmm. And you've just changed roles recently, and you're now the director of lifestyle yeah. medicine for Savita Healthcare. So. Tell me a little bit about that role, what your vision for the role is, and maybe what a typical day, and I know there's usually no typical day, <laughs> what kinds of things yeah. do you do? Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, was, it was a big change. I came from a tenure track position at, um, uh, you know, at a very, you know, I was funded and, you know, uh, uh, academia. So it, it was a, it was a, like, should I do this? You know, is this a good idea? And, you know, here's another example of me saying, why not? You know, let's try it. Let's test it. Um, a lot of what I do, did in research, you know, food prescriptions and, uh, you know, working with, with nutrition and security, um, teaching kitchens, culinary medicine, all this related research. Um, uh, the Suvita team was saying, Hey, let, you know, come do this on the private sector. Let, let's test this at scale. Let's see if this works. Like we know there's data here now to support, you know, these programs, grant funding, we see some call savings, but let's, let's do this at a company. Let's do this where we can, you know, put it in several clinics and test it and try it. So for me, again, I grew up in Southern Alabama and uh, those of you listening, uh, you know, there's, there's, multiple political opinions to things. And some people want to do things because it's, it's the right thing to do or a good thing to do. And other people want to make economic sense of it. I'm not saying one's right or the other. I think probably we need both and a mixture of both. So for me is really understanding how can we, you know, can we, can we do this at scale? Can we change the scope of, you know, a lot of nutrition education? Can we do it? And that's, you know, I don't want to say I'm doing that alone, you know, at this one company, but that's a lot of what I'm, trying to do and doing that research as well. So very excited for that. And in the role, you know, uh, for, for those of lifestyle medicine, essentially like it's the factors around, you know, uh, behavior that are related to, you know, um, uh, health. So it's not just nutrition, it's not just physical activity, but also like sleep, um, stress, you know, uh, substance abuse, um, connectedness, which is something that we talk about a lot now, especially post COVID is like not really post COVID because we're still in it, but you know, the isolation piece. So how can we use all these different pillars to, to bring people together. So 
you know, in, in, in my role at Suvita Healthcare, which is different than our traditional, you know, U.S.-based healthcare system that is fee for service. Um, I know for for y'all, y'all and the the, the Australian folks, y- y'all are used to this, but um, it's a a value based care where we are, you know, full risk. Where this is set up to say, you know, we have to deliver quality care to our patients in order for us to succeed. So if our patient gets sick and ends up in the ER, we're not rewarded for for that. We are docked for that. Um, That's really important when we're talking about nutrition because nutrition is not, uh, yes, dietitians can be reimbursed, but it's not reimbursed at the same rate as like a physician is. So when you're in a medical circle and the physician, like why should the physician care about nutrition if the reimbursement is low? If you flip that and you say, hey, you're incentivized to prevent people from getting sick. Well, what are the preventable preventable things that lead to chronic conditions that lead to, you know, morbidity and mortality? Well, the top factors are dietary risk factors, you know, their their tobacco use, their, you know, physical inactivity, they're they're the lifestyle factors. So it really makes sense for dietitians to be in this space because again, we're really needed. And uh, that's where for, in my role, we're, we're, again, we're not just focused on let's treat patients that are sick. You know, when your A1C is at 8.5, come see us. No, we're saying, don't let your A1C get to 6.5. Let's keep it low. Let's, you know, what can we do to prevent you from, you know, from getting, going down that route? So it's not just on the treatment, but really on the prevention side, kind of the, the holistic, you know, um, uh, health care as it should be, not the, not the traditional sick care that we have in the U.S. So really excited to, to be doing that. Um, we are a startup. We're a funded startup. So for me, that, that looks pretty different. We're doing a lot of different things, building team, building programs, designing what, you know, what we want our care model to look like. Um, how do we want to treat our patients? What do we want to see, you know, the outcomes be like, do we want to have a, this type of program? Do we want to run through this? So really a lot of designing and building. And I'm just, it's been a lot of fun, wild ride, but a lot of fun. Sounds very exciting. I think, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the challenge we have in Australia, I think it's probably the same in the US is, you know, we we, we don't look at the long term, particularly from a government perspective, because, you know, yeah. you, um, you know, you get voted in and out. So it's very much short term and we don't have that focus on prevention. So I love that what you're doing with the startup is looking at prevention. And I think that's such an exciting space to be in. I think, so you, you really said something really key right there is we're we're short term, you know, and how long are most of our dietary studies, you know, six months, year, oh my God, we had a follow-up that was two years long, but we never like what, what, what happened during the lifespan? Yeah, we have our epi studies, et cetera, but by and large, most of our trials are these diets. We're not really interested long-term and Mm -hmm. Again, the, the thing that we can focus on here is, okay, these patients, we, you know, yeah, we're Medicare, so over 65, but, you know, like we want them to be healthy the whole time they're with us. So, you know, that could be 25, 30 years. That's a long time, you know, and, and that's where like, we really do have to think, you know, long-term, I don't want to put somebody on a diet. We see that diets, you know, after you know six months or a year, people fall off and they don't just fall off. They go down and then, yeah, they climb back up a little bit, but they're usually, it's it's not a it's not a helpful thing. It's that yo-yo effect where yes, there might be some improvements, but long term there's there's negatives and it expands over that two, three, four, five, 10, 20 year period. For us, we really need something that's sustainable. That's built into, you know, the model that us dietitians talk about a lot, the dietary pattern changes, the 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 things that actually are part of your behavior that aren't just 
let me try this diet for a little while. So yeah. it is, I mean, it is exciting. And again, I know this is still the, the beginning parts for us in the US, but it is very exciting to, to be a part of this. Now you are one of the few males in a female dominated profession. <laughs> yeah. One of my other missions is to attract more men to yeah. dietetics. So maybe you could just chat a little bit about your experience and what, what you think we might be able to do and any yeah. tips for other male colleagues that you, in, in dietetics. Yeah. You know, I, um, there's been several things, you know, that I, I kind of joke about the, the first time I went to a, a dietitian event, there was a, uh, like a tables for different organizations and the men's table was just blank. There was just a sign on it. There was no one there and there was no, nothing on the, like the backdrop. It just had like a little piece of paper printed out. It was like men and dietetics. And it was like a perfect representation where I was like, Oh, I feel kind of left out here. Um, and I, I joke about that because it, you know, there's, a there's now, uh, I've become, uh, a lot of colleagues and friends that are are working to work together to increase that, you know, like and reach out whenever we have a male student, a program, reach out to us, happy to be a mentor, happy to kind of work and help build that up. Um, there's a lot of things we need to do. Um, number one, we need to reach out earlier, um, in education. So, you know, whether it be in, you know, uh, under, you know, uh, high school or, you know, even earlier where, Hey, this is, this is a profession that would be a fun option for you. This is a, a thing where you can, you know, do a lot of different things, not just, you know, what you might think of as a diet, but really performance oriented or things that might be interesting to different, different kids. Um, but it, it has been hard. I will say going to conferences often feels, you know, like I'm out of place. Um, I think that's probably the case for a lot of folks too. I don't think I'm the only one, you know, whether it just be gender-based, but also, you know, uh, 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 race and, and uh, ethnicity as well. Some of us can feel very, you know, out of place depending on where you are and, you know, in, in your practice area. But I, I think we all have to do a better job of um, opening the door for people or creating a pathway, um, whether that be if you're, you know, a mentor, like in a uh, practice, make sure that you make room for somebody and be open to listening to the student says, you know, I don't feel comfortable. Like, listen, you know, like make sure that you, you know, really do your due diligence to not just say, Hey, come fit into my space and do dietetics just like me. Um, I'll share, I share a reason why, like, I guess what I'm trying to describe here, one of my not so good college professors, um, I remember them talking about eating disorders and, um, the conversation came up around men and eating disorders and very quickly she said, oh, men don't struggle from eating disorders. We can move on. And I was like, like, did you ask any men that? I mean, is that a, was that a question or you just made this like serious assumption right here? So like things like that, where you're not really inclusive of like, you know, of what people are thinking or are hearing, um, it can be a big problem of pushing people away. Uh, when we have events, make sure that you think of like, would everyone be interested in this? I know there's often like jewelry sales. <laughs> For, for like fundraising events. I'm like, I don't really, that doesn't really work with me. I also understand, you know, I'm, I'm the, uh, a very small percentage in our practice, but I would say, you know, the past five years has been a lot different than the first 10 years of my career in dietetics, as far as being a male in a, a very female dominated field, it's getting better. I'll put it that way. So what would be your number one tip to someone starting their career in dietetics, perhaps a fellow male? <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say, you know, reach out to don't, don't be again, going back to like, don't be scared. Like, don't be scared to reach out to somebody like, like myself, like find, find our emails, send us an email. And if somebody doesn't respond, sometimes we get a ton of emails. So send another follow-up email, you know, be kind, um, ask for a little bit of time, uh, you know, out of their day to chat. You know, if you, if you're at a conference and someone's speaking, go up and talk to them after, like put yourself out there to get to know people, um, ask your professors, for a contact. Sometimes that can be a way in where it's not a cold call, but they know somebody because of a colleague. And I, I have several people re- reach out to me like that. Hey, I got this student. Can you please, you know, give them some advice? We're all willing to help each other out. And I think that's, you know, people in my situation should make sure that we do that, you know, that we make space for people. Um, I can share a really bad experience I had early on as a young, you know, budding RD. I didn't have my RD credential yet, but I was trying to get it. And I went to a conference and there was a a speaker who happened to be a chef and an RD. And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like, this is what I want to do. And uh, his advice to me was go get more credentials and then come talk to me. <laughs> he was not interested in helping me at all. So um, it was very offensive. And for me, I was like, yeah, I'll never do that to people. So I'm, I'm happy to you know, obviously people are busy when we get busy, but I'm always happy to to take the time to talk and give some advice and share mistakes I've made along the way, um, connect people as well. Um, you know, uh, dietetics, we need to do better at, at doing that and opening the door. Like I said, you know, creating the pathway for people, not just saying, oh, you're not part of the club or you don't know enough people. We really do need to make sure that we keep our eyes open and, and make space uh, for people. And what other habits or things that you do do you think have contributed to your success and where you are today and ensuring you continue to grow and develop? Yeah, I I tend to have the mentality that I don't really care what people think about me, which has come been helpful because I've definitely been, you know, uh mocked or made fun of or, you know, oh, that's a stupid idea. You know, dietitians don't cook or and my favorite was, you'll never teach our medical students how to cook. Like, that's the dumbest thing ever. And I was like, ha, 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 I'm an assistant professor now. <laughs> so, you know, not to rub it in people's faces, but, you know, have thick skin because, you know, when you see things a little different, when you have a vision, uh, it takes some time for people to see your vision. You know, 20 years ago, I saw it makes sense to be cooking with patients like, duh, to me, that's that's the way I felt. Everyone else didn't really see that. I remember a chef being, you know, one of the first chefs I worked for. You're majoring in nutrition. Why would you do that? That's not that's that's not going anywhere. That's that's a really stupid idea. You know, like I don't know what I don't know why you're doing that. He meant well. He just he didn't see it. You know that that's where you know if you if you see yourself, and I don't want to say I see myself as a visionary, but if you see something, you're like you're willing to put in the hard work and the time, which it takes a lot of time to get places. Um, you know, sometimes people won't, won't agree with you and that's okay. It's okay. Not everybody has to, but you gotta, you gotta have thick skin, not let their comments bother you. Cause sometimes if, if you do that, you won't, you won't succeed. So, you know, the number one thing is, you know, thick skin. And then, you know, number two is having a why, like, why are you there? Why are you doing it? You know, um, going through, you know, I worked full time to full time through every degree I've had. Um, that was a lot of work. You know, I put in a lot of extra hours. I was working full-time, had an internship and full-time degree in my master's. I was busy and my doctorate had kids, worked full-time, you know, uh, position and was, you know, doing my dissertation. It was a lot of work, but I had a strong why, you know, I had a reason why I could see myself getting through that, why it made sense to me. If you don't have that kind of North star, you know, 
oftentimes we just like, eh, forget it. When it's too difficult, we just give up. Or when there's a failure, you give up. So, you know, I, I, I would say, you know, find your why and make sure that's really what you want to do. You know, um, as a male dietitian, people always like, oh, you going into sports because you're a male. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that's not my why. So if you're someone like that, that gets pushed into something because it's a stereotype or whatever else, you know, make sure it's what you want to do, not what everyone else thinks you should do. Um, you know, go with, go with that, that it's always a better space. So that, that would be like, but the number two is that why, and then number three, you, you got to be gritty. Like you really, really got to put in the effort. Um, I don't want to say hard work gets you everywhere. Cause that's not true. There's, there's opportunity, um, plus hard work, but you know, you gotta, you gotta be willing to put in that effort, um, day in, day out. Um, and with that, I, I put in the caveat of, Learning to say no um, is really important to learn early. Um, and I know that seems like a, a, a strong like hypocrisy there of like, I'll put in all the effort, but learn to say no. And it's the reason why I say that is like, when you know why you're in a certain place, then you know what to say yes to and you what, know what to say no to. And you have to get comfortable with disappointing people by saying no. Um, I have finally gotten better at that. Uh, for a long period of time, I just said yes to everything and it burned me out. So avoid, avoid, avoid that. Um, and avoid, you know, when someone gets upset with you for saying no, you don't want to work with them in the first place. <laughs> like, let's be honest. If someone can't respect your mental health for saying, I need a break, I need to take time, then, you know, you probably don't want to do stuff with them anyway. Mm-hmm. So those, those are kind of my, I guess my, my top three things. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, like you were, I think, because other people don't have the same perspective doesn't mean that what yeah. you have your perspective and your vision, because <laughs> clearly you were yeah. ahead of your time 20 years ago yeah. and look at us now, look at yeah. the culinary nutrition space and it's only growing. So yeah, what, absolutely. What other opportunities do you think dietitians have in the next few decades? Yeah. I mean, in the U S I, I just really see a big space here in the, the, the you know, that, that value-based full risk model where, you know, it, it makes so much sense from nutrition because again, it's like, you gotta, you gotta prevent stuff to be successful. So, you know, what, it, what's related is nutrition, physical activity. So I really see that as a space for us. Um, I think it's a wonderful opportunity. Obviously I'm biased on the, on the kitchen piece, but like the cooking and learning that, um, you know, uh, and I don't, I don't want to say like, you have to learn how to cook in all your patient encounters, but there's a different way of talking when you know about food you know, there's excitement. So it's like a, it's like a shift and like, it's no longer about like controlling. It's, it's more about empowering. And that's where like the culinary medicine piece can really serve you a ton of, uh, uh, give you a big leg up in your practice is it allows you to understand like, how can I communicate with my patient in a really good way? So with that, you know, culinary piece is also the behavior side. So, um, I, I guess the, the two things again, uh, you know, the, the full risk healthcare piece and the, the culinary medicine piece, I see, I see those two as like just two that I'm in, but also I think there's going to be uh, ample opportunity for us to grow. And then, I mean, naturally just because the way things are going, there's a lot of opportunity in tech, um, for RDs, um, RDs are definitely way more out in the field now. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to, to do things. So, yeah. We've talked so much about food and the joy of food and the pleasure of food. So what's your favorite food? I should totally have a really good answer to this, but I don't. You, uh, <laughs> you like it all. <laughs> it's yeah, no, I I um 
and being in Houston, those of you that don't know Houston, uh, I don't think Houston gets enough credit, but I'm going to give a shout out to to my city here. Um, I've been here about 14 years now and Houston has the best food, man. We, we have restaurants that, I mean, honestly, it could be, it's just like a hole in the wall place, you know, and they got the best dish ever. So, um, my favorite thing is find is finding places like that. Um, there's a popular place in Houston that I'm just thinking of. Um, it's it's called Himalayas, and they make it's a, a Pakistani man. He was an engineer, has like a master's in engineering. He came back and started cooking. You know, just wanted to open his own restaurant, and he makes just some amazing dishes. It's a pretty well known spot in Houston. Um, and another spot I really really love is uh, is called Asia Market. And it's a Thai Lao place. And I just, it's right down the street from where I live. And one of my, my favorite foods and, uh, you know, it's just the traditional Thai foods, traditional Lao food, um, for myself and cooking, I really love seafood. Um, I grew up on the water, so, um, I love to cook shrimp and crab and, and fish. And then, you know, with, with, uh, my traditional grits, I really love grits and, uh, uh, black eyed peas. So those things together, I think are, are probably my favorite, um, foods. And I know I kind of ran them across the board, but, um, you caught me when I'm a little hungry and thinking of food. So those <laughs> are the things that, that came up you. in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to get on the way home? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I know Thai is not very, it's not a popular cuisine in, in the US, but it's, it definitely is yeah. one of our staples here in Australia. Um, yeah, I, and there's, I mean, there's so many, there's so much beautiful cuisine out there too. That's the thing is like, I could, I could, you know, I would love to just be able to eat, eat and try people's food all the time and talk about it. <laughs> and I know you've got some other passions outside of work and, um, yep. and your culinary space. So you love surfing and skateboarding. I'm going to call you an honorary Aussie. <laughs> <laughs> I would, yeah, I would, I would, that would be a huge compliment. I will say I'm not a, a great skirt uh, surfer or a great skateboarder, but they're, they're things I've done for a long time. I guess most of my life, I, I grew up on the coast in Alabama and I know you wouldn't think of surfing waves in Alabama and by no means are they good, but there, there are some wind swells and, uh, the local surfing group is definitely very, uh, dedicated, I would say, um, to, uh, ever since I was a child and it's something that, you know, as I've grown older, I find if I don't do, I, I lose a lot of joy. So like, you know, again, grounding yourself and making time for that, because as you get more advanced in your career, there's so many opportunities that you could just be busy all the time. And if you don't schedule, you know, your time for yourself and schedule like, Hey, I want to go on a snowboard trip, or I want to take the day off and go skateboarding, or I want to do whatever it is that you love to do. You know, it, it you, you end up just being a miserable person <laughs> and that's not healthy. You, you don't think as clear. Um, you don't have good ideas. So I really do take the time to, you know, skateboard with my son go on surf trips and plan my snowboard trips and whatever I can do to, to have fun you know, from kiteboarding to, you know, um, a lot of different things that are, are a lot of fun, maybe a little more extreme than some people like to do, but, um, those are definitely, uh, spaces I take time for. And the other thing that I do on a daily basis is just, I love audiobooks. I like to listen to audiobooks, and that's a place where I can just step back and, you know, kind of, you know, get out of my, my immediate thoughts that I'm, you know, work thoughts I'm thinking and relax. So I'm a big advocate of, um, of enjoying your life. Um, because what's the point of living it if you're not enjoying it? So, you know, do good work and do good things, but also take the time for yourself and for your family. You know, we, we often, you know, at the end of our lives, we'll say, I wish I had spent more time here. I wish I had done that. Not, I wish I had worked more. So I'm definitely in the habit of taking time for my family and, and the things I enjoy. 
I just met uh, the author of um, Bronnie Ware, the author of The Five Regrets of Dying, something yeah. to that effect. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read that one, but yeah. That's I haven't. Nice I, need, I, need, I need to check it out. <laughs> that on your audio book de- list. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you but, definitely, I mean, you, that, that when you think about it, like, you know, you you want to avoid, avoid all those regrets. If someone can say, hey, these are the things I regret, like, well, let me let me make sure I don't do that. And for right. me as a father, I, I, I definitely try to spend a lot of time with my kids when I can, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Wesley. It's been an absolutely wonderful conversation with you. I always love chatting with you. Yeah. And if you'd like to hear more tips and advice from Wesley, please check out our Emerging Dietitian Summit that we held last year. It might have even been the year before now where Wesley was a panel member on our Dietitian Connection website. We'll include the link in the show notes. Lovely to chat with you, Wesley. Hope to see you at FINCI this year. Yeah, yeah. I will will be there. So wonderful, wonderful chatting with you today. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Please join us on another Dietitian Connection podcast. We look forward to seeing you again soon. To get all of the links and resources we discussed in this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review and a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. Tell us what you thought of this episode, what you learnt, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We value hearing from you and we really appreciate your feedback. So please, please hit that review button.